we talked last week to you about uh, the Temple Mount and uh, about uh, the uh, the Dome of the Rock being on the Temple Mount as it is presently, and about the uh, Ezekiel, the book and verses and scriptures in Ezekiel about the uh, uh, the Lord leaving the temple in 588 B.C. Ezekiel saw the vision of that. And he saw the vision, said it was, and it prophesied what would happen. God's going to leave it, and then when he did, it was going to be destroyed, and it was destroyed. He saw the vision somewhere around 600 B.C., and then, then about 588 B.C., just a few years later, it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar to completely destroyed everything just leveled to the ground. The temple is Solomon's temple, beautiful temple of Solomon. And uh, later on, the temple was rebuilt by a man by the name of Zerubbabel, uh, which uh, was about some 70 years later, rebuilt by the Jews. 50,000 Jews returned to Israel, and Zerubbabel was their leader. And uh, he rebuilt the temple, but it was a very modest temple. And the prophet, the old prophet Haggai, when he saw the new temple, compared it with the old temple, he wept. Because he said, even though we have a temple, it's not like the old temple was that was destroyed. Zechariah, the young prophet, said, oh, this is wonderful. And he shouted and leaped with joy. I'm so happy that Israel now had a temple again. And they could begin to resume their sacrifices and so forth. And they did for the next uh, 400 years. And then finally in the New Testament, Harry the Great embellished the temple. He embellished that temple of Zerubbabel. That means that he began to little by little take away certain parts of it and rebuild something greater. So that Herod's temple when it was finally built was very magnificent. The reason Herod did that was but Herod was not a Jew. He was the king of Israel at the time under the old Roman Empire. And he paid a lot of money to a Caesar for that Caesar to grant him permission to be over the Jews. So Herod the Great became the king of Israel. And he was, of course, king when Jesus was born. You well know that, Herod the Great. And uh, he was a mean king. He was not a Jew. He was, a, he was an Edomite. And uh, because of that, Herod tried to please the Jews or he tried to make them happy. And one of the things he knew that would make them happy was for him to embellish the temple that was on the Temple Mount. And if he did that, they'd be happy with him. And so that's pretty well the way that he rocked along with that and made uh, the leadership of the Israel happy with that. Uh, we talked to you about how Jesus said not one stone should be left upon another because his disciples said, Jesus, look at this beautiful temple we have here. His disciples, you know, Peter and Peter, James, John, Matthew, you know, look at what a beautiful temple we have. And Jesus said, not one stone shall be left upon another and that shall not be torn down and everything. And of course, Jesus prophesied at that point, And it was also had been previously prophesied even in the book of Daniel that it would happen, that that temple would be destroyed. And in 70 AD, exactly as Jesus said, it was destroyed. It was totally destroyed, leveled to the ground and so forth. And so the Temple Mount has been a very controversial issue ever since that time. 
there was a time when there was a, a te- there was a temple to the goddess to the god of Jupiter, who was a Roman god. A temple was built there in 135 A.D. Uh, there was another time when there was a Christian Catholic Church put on the Temple Mount. There was another time, of course, whenever the Muslims came in and built uh, a mosque there, and then finally that was taken down, and then they built a shrine, the Shrine of the Rock, which is what's there now today. And then that has been rebuilt and rebellished over a few hundreds of years. So the Temple Mount has a very interesting history. Now, uh, starting next week, or hopefully next week, I should say, I'm going to try to have a put out, print out a a chart on the events of the Temple Mount because it is one of the most controversial places on the face of the earth today. How many of you are aware that last week President Trump uh, put forth a proclamation to the Palestinians? I see hands all over. Okay, God bless you. To the Palestinians and to the Jewish people that they do two things. One is that they, he knows that the Palestinians want to have their own nation within the land, within Palestine. The Jews says, no, this belongs to the Jews. You're allowed to be here and we'll give you a section of it and you can live there, but it belongs to us. And uh, the Palestinians says, no, we want to have this to be our own nation. So they fought for that, wanted that, desired that, and longed for that. On the Temple Mount, where the Dome of the Rock is, the Jews likewise have wanted to be able to make do sacrifices on the temple. And they want to be able to go on the temple. And they were forbidden for a long time. It's been off and on, off and on for over, just even in our lifetime, all this wrangling going on about the Temple Mount. And so what Trump did was that he said, all right, we're going to, Ask the Jews, Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is the prime minister of Israel. He asked him, it was all right with you if we let uh, the Palestinians have their own nation. In return, we'll ask the Palestinians to allow the Jews to go on the Temple Mount and to be able to offer sacrifices on the Temple Mount. And now the Palestinians are up in arms about that. And so the, the upheaval is going on and on. So the president has offered that kind of a solution, trying to bring peace and harmony to that spot because he knows that that is a hot spot in the world. Uh, I have a lot of information to give you and just want to talk to you a little bit about it next week. I'm going to show you some things in here that I've never shown or taught ever before about that Temple Mount. But it is a, is a key thing today. And the Jews desperately want to build the temple. There is a segment of the Jews called the Temple, Mat, the Temple, Mat, uh, Temple Mount Faithful group. Uh, it was led by uh, Gershwin uh, uh, Solomon. I don't know if he's still living or not. I'm not sure that if he is or not. But he was so radical. He even was one of the ones in the Six-Day War in 1967 when they fought it he parachuted in on the temple mount a lot of those arab and they meant to take it all over it's going to be our mount now get rid of the but the arabs were so not only the palestinians but the jordanians and the saudi arabia and the persians the which is iran and the iraqi all of them was up in arms about it 
And so the other Jew says, no, 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 we, we can't do this. The general, that one-eyed general who was the leader in that war, in the Six-Day War, Moshe Dayan, uh, which is, means Moses Dayan. Moshe is their Hebrew word for it. Moses Dayan, Moshe Dayan. He was the general and everything, and he led that war successfully for, the, for Israel. And uh, Golden Meir was the prime minister at that time. And he, they thought they may even lose that war. And he told Golden Meir, get the atomic bomb ready. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but Israel has the atomic bomb. They have it. I, I read a book written by uh, a son of one of the men who was one of the main uh, scientists that worked and developed, helped to develop uh, the bomb in Israel. They got it from other Jews, mostly out of France, and got the technology of it and built that bomb, and they have it at their disposal. But they're very low-keyed about it. They made a choice to do that. They don't ever say much about it. They keep very low-keyed and everything. But these other countries all know that they do have the bomb. So Moje Dayan told Gold in the Air, get the bomb ready. We don't know if we're going to win this battle or not. It may be, and they call it the third temple. That means Israel wiped out all over again, the third temple. 588 was the first one, 70 AD by the Romans was the second one. This was the third one. It's an expression meaning Israel is going to be overrun by the Gentiles and destroyed as a nation as they are today. And so he says, get the bomb ready. Well, as it happened, the bomb was ready, but they never used it, never had to use it. Well, afterwards, whenever the Temple Mount faithful crowd said, oh, man, we've taken the temple back now. Now we're going to build a temple on it, and now we're going to demolish all this golden, this golden dome, you know, building that we see here and so forth, and we're going to get rid of that thing, and we're going to build that temple. And but they were all fired, wired for it, and it was really all ready to go. This is a picture, of course, of that Dome of the Rock. This is on the, the east side. Mount of Olives looking across across the western wall. You see the gate, the western gate, the gate of the western wall where it's sealed shut. And then up, up where you see all the, the trees and things, that's the Temple Mount. And that's the Dome of the Rock that sits there today. And there's also another mosque there. Uh, the the Al, uh, Al Mosque, some type, I forgot the name of it, but anyhow, it sits right there at the south end of this, of this to the left, uh, of that Temple Mount. Temple Mount is, it starts where that wall, you see the wall over there where that gate is, where that sealed up gate, that's the wall. Everything else in between is just a little valley, that's the Kidron Valley. Now, I'm telling you all of that so that you understand here how volatile that this place is. And they wanted to go over there and to do it, and Moshe Dayan said, no. And so he went on the Temple Mount. He actually went there, sat down, took his shoes off, which you do when you go on the mountain and you go inside any of those buildings. You take your shoes off, which I've been there, and I've taken my shoes off and went inside the Dome of the Rock. I've been inside of that one. And everything. there's a time when you could do that. Then there was a time when you couldn't do it. The last two times I've been to Israel, we could not do that. But way back there, some 30 years ago, they permitted us to do that, everything. And uh, so anyhow, Moshe Dayan took his shoes off, sat down, and had a peace talk with the Arabs and everything, and came to the conclusion that the last thing they want to do is get the Arabs all worked up and have a holy war over, the, over that 
the Jews trying to get rid of the Dome of the Rock and build their own temple, so they backed off. And the, the people who are the Temple Mount enthusiasts, who really think they are, and they're pushing hard to have that temple rebuilt, uh, they felt like that they had been sort of pushed aside and that they felt like they had been rejected. So they've been fighting and they've had publications and they've had sort things, you know, printed and so forth. I've got tons of material. I even have a letter written to a brother in this church. I won't tell you who it is, but I'm going to ask him if I have permission to read it. And then I'll tell you who he is if, if he says it's okay. But anyhow, I have a letter written to him by that uh, organization stating why that they want that temple built and why it should be built. It's a very interesting letter they written. And uh, so I'm telling you all of this so that you understand here how volatile that situation is at this day. And they are still wanting it to happen. So every time there's a, a little change or something that happened, they want to go on that temple mount and they want to do, uh, they want to offer, especially for the Passover, this is interesting. They want to offer a Passover lamb on the Passover. Now, how many of you know that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the Passover lamb? The Passover that the Jews celebrate in the Old Testament, which is the lamb they sacrificed before they went out of Egypt. Okay, that Passover lamb, they, God set up Passover days for Israel. And that Passover lamb was a substitute until the real Passover lamb came. And even uh, Abraham had uh, his son said, Father, we have, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And of course, Abraham had been told by the Lord to sacrifice Isaac himself as a sacrifice on, on Mount Moriah. Incidentally, and this may be a bombshell to some of you, Mount Moriah, where the Abraham went to offer Isaac for sacrifice, is the Temple Mount. It's the same spot, same place. I'm getting back to the, back to Abraham. So he says, uh, here's the fire, here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice, a lamb. And that's all that he said about it. When they got on the Temple Mount and the Lord said, no, uh, the angel spoke to him and said, no, 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 don't offer Isaac. God wanted to see if your heart was faithful that you'd give all that you had unto him and uh, you it's not required of you then a ram was caught in the thicket coming up the other side of the mountain and abraham offered that ram now a ram is not a lamb but abraham said god will provide himself a lamb for himself and probably himself as the lamb so that when jesus christ came he was god and he was also the son of god he was also the sacrifice and he was the priesthood of the sacrifice, and he was the recipient of the sacrifice. Praise the Lord. I'll leave that with you. Praise the Lord. That's, that's the mighty God in Christ. Praise the Lord. God is everything. If you can't figure those things out, sometimes you have to remember that God is much greater than we are, and our, our minds is on a little drop in the ocean compared to his great knowledge and wisdom. I'm, so I'm just telling you all of that so that you understand here. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So that Jesus Christ then became that Lamb sulfur. He was the Passover Lamb. It's not, it's not just a coincidence that Jesus died on the eve of the Passover. He was crucified on the eve of the Passover. I think, how I many of you are aware of that? He was crucified on the eve of the Passover. 
So he fulfilled that. So there is no more need since that time of there to be a Passover sacrifice. But the Jews, the Jews who do not believe Jesus was the Messiah, and they don't believe he was the lamb to be slain but from the, by the Lord, from the Lord to be our, for our sins. And so consequently, they want to fulfill that law, and they want that to be brought back. Now, I'm telling you that all that so you understand here that God, praise the Lord, has a plan for Israel, but there, are, is a, there is a movement in Israel to fulfill God's plan for Israel in themselves. It's in themselves. It's called Zionism. And it started way back there and uh, not long after the, Israel, the Jews had been scattered throughout the world. And that is that they believed it was up to them to go back and to reestablish themselves on, in Israel and to reestablish themselves, uh, put the temp, build the temple about, back, and then God would come. So they have placed that responsibility on themselves. I could give you many scriptures. I've got a chart on it. I won't give it to you today, but I'm going to give it to you some things next week that I know that's going to be very valuable to you. I'm going to give you some charts next week as well. But in, in these things, the Lord tells Israel, I'm going to bring you back. Now, I've scattered you in all the world, but I'm going to bring you back, and you're going to turn your hearts back to me. Well, the children of Israel think it's our job to bring the Lord back. It's our job. So it's our responsibility to build the temple. And they believe that they write that in their letters. They write that in their, in their, uh, their, their material. And... Uh, this, uh, I, this is one, for instance, here. This is a letter from the Temple Mount movement. This is what uh, Gershwin Solomon says here. There are three biblical conditions for the complete redemption of the people of Israel and for the coming of Messiah. He says the, re, the, re, the regathering of the Israeli nation from all over the world to the promised land. The founding of Israel's state, that's the two things, the Israel coming back and then the founding of Israel's state, meaning Israel has become a nation. And then he goes on to say the rebuilding of the temple. The third temple, the two conditions have already been made. In other words, the third condition, he says here, rebuild the temple is soon going to be fulfilled. And so they are interested in that temple being fulfilled because they say that this is, is whenever all of this is going to come to pass. Now, here's an interesting thing, and I'm just referring to scriptures that I have not read to you here at all. But here's an interesting fact about all of it, and that is that in Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, it is, chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about the Antichrist, and he says the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple of God to be worshipped as God. That's also mentioned in Daniel chapter 12, chapter 11 and 12, the end of chapter 11 and verse, chapter 12 of Daniel, where the Lord says that he is going to, the Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple of God to be worshipped as God. And that's the overspreading of abominations, the abomination of desolation. Now, the abomination of desolation has already happened because the Temple Mount is desolated. It's desolated. So the abomination of that desolation has happened, but the overspreading of the abomination of desolation, which Daniel spoke of, is yet to happen. And that's whenever the Antichrist himself sets himself up 
on, on the Temple Mount in the temple to be worshipped as God. So the Temple Mount, which to the Jew, to the to the Arabs, is the third sacred spot on the face of the earth. Uh, Mecca is their number one. That's the headquarters and the home of the of Muslim uh, of the Islam religion. Uh, and Medina uh, in Saudi Arabia is the second holiest place because that's where that Mohammed uh, and his 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 entourage of merry men, we call them that, uh, they all took over the city and the city was converted into the Islam religion. It was first started there in in uh, in uh, Medina. And then the third sacred place is there the Dome of the Rock. And the Dome of the Rock, there is a rock that's inside the Dome of the Rock that's about the size probably of maybe half of this platform here. Uh, the Dome of the Rock there is from that Dome of the Rock, which is Mount Moriah, incidentally. That's the mount I was talking to you about. Is where that, uh, that Mohammed claims he ascended from when he went into heaven and God revealed unto him who he was. My name is Allah, and uh, I am the God of all, and so forth. And uh, and you are to be my disciple, and so forth, and follow me, and I'll tell you what to do, and so forth. And gave him, you know, what we call New Dan today as the Koran. The Koran that he was given was just actually just a few pages at that time. Later, the words and part of the Koran was added and added to it, and so it's the Koran to the day. I have a copy of the Koran that is out of uh, out of the one that's out of uh, Iran. They also have another Koran. They're both the same, but they're just they're, they're sort of like uh, uh, how do you describe it? It's sort of like King James version and some other version of the Bible. You know, if you want to look at that. So it's the Koran written out like that. And so this is one out of Saudi Arabia. Out of so one is out of uh, Iran, and they have a little bit different view about things. So one is in. in and Iran are more volatile, they are more uh, aggressive, and so forth. I won't get into all of that, only to tell you here that they believe that's a very sacred place. That's the third sacred place in the Muslim world is that Dome of the Rock. So they're not about to give up and they'll fight to the death, and there's some of them that's ready to die for it. The irony of it all is that there's Jews that are ready to die for the same cause, to recapture it, retake it, and to rebuild the temple, because that's the only way the Messiah could come back. And so they have a very, they, and so the governments keep them held back. So whenever our president this past week said, we're going to make it possible then for the Jews to go on to the Temple Mount and to offer sacrifices in exchange for the Palestinians to have their own nation. Uh, some of the Palestinians says, yeah, we like that idea. But the Jordanians didn't like it, the Saudi Arabians didn't like it, the Iraqis didn't like it, and the Iranians certainly didn't like it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just trying to tell you here that these things are all smoking. And folks, we can talk, we can talk out here, who is God? Where is God? I don't believe in God. All that kind of, and all that stuff has happened over there, and it's all right here in the book. It's all right here in the book. Now... I'm going to take, I've only got probably about uh, 20 minutes here to talk to you about it, but I'm going to read some scriptures to you. But next week, I'm going to really get into some things with you. I'm going to show you some charts. This is, uh, I've got other charts here, things, but I'm not going to uh, get into a lot of this today. But I do want to tell you here that this Temple Mount is a very 
is a very volatile thing. It's a very volatile thing. And uh, for myself to have had the privilege years ago, 30, like I say, 30 years ago, I could, we could do it. Now you can't. But to be able to go on that Temple Mount and actually go in there where the Dome of the Rock is, this is just a side thing. I don't know. It's not worth anything. But in that Dome of the Rock, we went in. There's the rock. and We saw it. But they have like a, a little old balcony thing around it up here. And in, on, in that balcony at that time was a 13-year-old girl who lived in there that had never been outside of that Dome of the Rock. She'd spent her life for 13 years, her first 13 years. And she was up there, and I remember her toes like a chicken sitting on a roost. Her toes bent over the edge of it like that, looking at us. She didn't wear pants. She wore a dress. And she would scoot around up there and watch all of us who were visitors coming in. Her eyes were dilated big. I felt so sorry for that girl. I thought, did her mother do this to her? Did somebody, did they require this of her? I mean, from birth, you know, I mean, from early, early childhood, I don't know what stage it was, but very early, she was put in that place. And so there she is. She's just like a little bird or a chicken, you know, flitting around up there in that area there, dedicated to Allah, dedicated to Allah on that Dome of the Rock thing. Weird stuff like that, you know. And uh, we had to take our shoes off outside and place them and then go inside barefooted. You could not walk on holy ground with your shoes on and so forth. They have this. They still have it that way. And uh, so now the Jews want to go up there. They said to the Jews, you could go up, but don't pray. You can't pray on the Temple Mount. You can go up and you can observe, but don't pray. They allowed that. And some of the Jews went up there and they secretly prayed and they had policemen watching them. I mean, the Muslim preachers watch them and they would usher them right off the, the temple mount if they saw them praying. And, so, yeah, and they wouldn't be able to pray. They pray outside of the Dome of the Rock. And there is that western wall that's on the west side. If you look on here, it's on the other side of the Dome of the Rock, on the other side of the Temple Mount. And there's a, a western wall there. And there's a place there they go to that wall and they can pray. And they do that because it's the nearest place to where the temple used to sit. So they feel like they can touch God there. And I've been to that western wall and I have prayed. Those people write prayers and stick them into the stones like this. And I remember going there one time and pulling out one of them and opening it up and reading a prayer request by somebody who had put it in there. And you know what? I prayed for that person's request. I don't know if it did, but I prayed for their request that God grant the request. You know, whoever this person is, God bless them, so forth. And ever so often they come along in the room, they sweep them all, all those things off. And they never burn them. They bury them. They bury them. They bury all of these prayer requests in the ground. Never burn them. And I'm just telling you all of this because there's the ritualism that goes on with this Temple Mount, folks. And this thing is becoming more volatile and more volatile. But one day, the Temple Mount is going to be rebuilt. The Temple is going to be rebuilt on that. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what kind of war is going to have to be fought. I don't know what kind of struggle is going to happen. But there's going to be a temple that's going to be built there. Brother N.A. Urshan, who was our district superintendent uh, for many years, uh, also pastored in uh, at Calvert Tabernacle for some 30 years before he became superintendent and then was superintendent for some 20 some odd years uh, before he passed away. 
and a longtime friend of ours as well. Brother Urshan uh, became pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, which was probably the largest church in the United Pentecost Church at that time, when he was 27 years old. And he had been having some struggles and battles in the church. And he was weary and tired, and one night he woke up and he couldn't sleep, 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he got dressed, said, I'm going to go down to the church and pray. And his house was just a block or two from the church. He got on his clothes, and he walked down to the church, and the steps going up into the church. There's a man sitting on the steps with a cane in his hand, a walking cane, different than this. Strange-looking walking cane. And Brother Urshan said, can I help you? And he said, sit down. I want to talk to you. And that man began to talk to N.A. Urshan. And he said, the trouble that you're having in the church, that's going to all pass. That'll all pass probably within a month. It'll all be over with. They had a latter rain movement going at that time. Some of the people in his church were getting caught up into that. He said, that problem is going to pass. It won't be long. He said, the second thing is that one day you'll be general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. Brother Urshan realized he was talking to an angel. This guy had to be an angel. Now, he told the general conference this one day. I heard him say it. He also told me personally, just us sitting at a table eating together, he told me this story. And so I know, you know, I I really believe him. It's very sincerely. And uh, this angel that was sitting there talking to him and says, you're going to be general superintendent one day and you're going to be over the United Pentecostal Church and the temple in Jerusalem will be built. Because he knew, I guess, Brother Urshan had been dealing with that. I was at a meeting in, uh, in Washington, D.C. with a lot of our presbyters from different districts all over Florida, United Pentecostal, United Pentecostal Church presbyters. We were in Washington, D.C., had been invited there. And we had the, uh, the, the, the ambassador from Israel was speaking to us. And would you believe that whenever he asked for any questions, there was a, several hands raised. And the big question was, is the temple going to be built in Israel? And the ambassador laughed and he says, boy, that's a big one. He says, I, he said, we hope that it will be. We want it to be built. And others said, you know, Ambassador is going to be built. You know, that kind of a thing. He said, well, we believe it will be and everything. And so it was sort of, he was laughed off by them. But you'll be amazed at how many of our brethren understood that because they knew it was in the Bible that there's going to be a temple, but also that the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to possess that temple. Now, I tell you all of this because this this is happening now. This is not stuff that just happened a long time ago, but it's stuff that's brewing right now. And folks, if there's ever been a time when you and I need to understand, it's a time to be ready to be to, to meet the Lord. The Lord is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his church. And there is going to be a tribulation period. Israel is going to return back to the Lord, but it won't be her doing it in, within herself. If I were to leave, read you a lot of these things and reports here, is that the Temple Mount Faithful, they call themselves, the Temple Mount Faithful movement uh, is trying to do this themselves because they sincerely believe we have to do it for God to come back, for the, for the Messiah to come, rather. Not come back, but Messiah come. We have to do it for the Messiah to come. 
So anyhow, they have, they have uh, uh, very interesting views about this. Here's another element I want to throw out with you too. The Muslim faith, especially not so much the Sunni, which is Saudi Arabia and Iraq and, and, and uh, Jordan, but it's more with the uh, Iranians, more the Iranians than anyone else. They believe in what's called the Mahdi. The Mahdi is the 12th Imam. The Imam is the, the caliphate. Everybody on track now? The caliphate is the leader of the Muslim world. The Imam is the word for, in, in, the, in the Iranian language, for the caliphate. The Imam is the guy. He's in charge. So the Imams of the Iranians and the caliphate of the uh, Shiites uh, the Shiites and the Sunnis are always struggling at who's really in charge and who's the big cheese and who's really the boss. You know, they, it goes on all the time between them. And so among them, though, is what they call the 12th Imam uh, uh, Caliphate, or uh, Imam, and he is the Mahdi. And here's what happened whenever this was like in 900 AD. This man uh, was taken into the mountains by three of the close protectors, advisors, and counselors assigned to him by his father. And his father says, take my son up in the mountains and keep him and protect him until this war that I'm fighting with these other Sunnis is over with. And then bring him back and he'll be the next Imam. Well, as it happened, his father was killed. His father was killed his father never survived. And so they stayed in the mountains because they never were called back. Two of those counselors died. Finally, the third one came back. And he says the, the, uh, the imam is there. The, he's still up there and he's going to stay there until there is holy war breaking out everywhere. Then he'll come out and lead the Muslim world into total victory over all the world. And so that's the 12th imam and they call him the Mahdi. So the Mahdi will return. So you've got a big segment of the Iranians who believe that there's going to be a Mahdi. That's like their Messiah. He's going to come back. He's going to lead the Muslim world, and they're going to one day rule the world. They believe that. So you've got the Jews who also know about the Bible that says that for a thousand years that the Jews will lead, will rule the, not rule so much as they will be the head of the world and, and, and when God rules the world after Armageddon and so forth. They know all of that. And then you have these, these Islam that believes that. So can you see what I'm saying about the strife and the conflict here? So you've got, you've got liberal Christians who believe that one day our Messiah will come back. That is, Jesus Christ will come back to the earth. Now, when Jesus comes back for his church, he'll not come back to the earth. He'll come back in the sky. The Bible says he'll appear in the sky and we'll rise to meet him in the air. That's called the rapture of the church. And it's, that's spelled out in several places of the Bible. I haven't even referred to it here today. But I'm just telling you folks that all of these things are brewing in the world. And if there's ever been a time when you and I really need to be serious about our walk with God and understand that this world is shaping up for what we know and we call the tribulation period in the Bible. Because in the tribulation period, there's a couple of things that's going to happen after all of these. And how many of you know there was an earthquake in, in, in Turkey not long ago? 
There's a fault line that runs down through western Turkey. It's headed, and it goes right on down through Istanbul. Istanbul is the capital city and it's the, it's of, of Turkey. And that fault line goes right on down through Istanbul. But it's never, there's never been an earthquake through Istanbul. It's always in the west side of Turkey. But each time it moves further and further east, is it? And once in a while you'll hear about it. There'll be people killed and people die and they'll dig them out. All kind of things. We got earthquakes over in Japan. We got it that rings the Pacific Ocean. America is not out of danger of that. How many of you know that, that they felt an earthquake in Miami just last this past week? How many of you are aware of that? I mean, see hands? They felt an earthquake in Miami. And it, they said it came and it was just south of Cuba is where the epic center was. But they felt as far as Miami and people in Miami came out of their building and stood out in the street. And they could see their glasses shaking. They said, this is not normal. This is not right. Uh, years ago, it's probably been probably 40 years ago, that was a minor earthquake we felt right here in Palm Bay or in Melbourne. I don't know whether you, any of you remember that, but I do very much. I woke up in the night and everything was shaking. I said, something's wrong. I waited a few minutes and everything died down. It was all over with. Next morning, I was reading there was a, it was a mild earthquake tremor that we felt. So I'm just telling you, all these things are coming on the earth. The, you know, things that, things out in, the, out in the atmosphere, in the heavens, that they're shaping up for things. So I'm just trying to tell you here that that book of Revelation is going to be fulfilled and things are brewing. And if there's ever been a time to walk with God and to live for the Lord and to get your family saved, if you, if you want to work on anybody, work on your family. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Uh, pray for your neighbors. Pray for your friends. Pray for your co-workers. And ask them and invite them to church. Praise God. And I'm telling you, the door of salvation stands wide open. I haven't even read a scripture. That's not like me, is it? I read, I got, I got all kinds of, I got a whole page of scriptures here to read. You don't want me to do that. I'm just talking to you from my heart. But I just want to tell you here today that the Lord, praise the Lord, wants you and I to understand this is the day of salvation. Noah's ark did not gradually shut. You know, little by little, each day it was a little closer and you had to, the last day you had to squeeze. No, no, it stood wide open for seven days after Noah and his family and all the animals were in the ark. It stood wide open for seven days so that anybody, anybody, could have gone ahead and got in the ark and been safe and, 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 and not died in the flood. But, of course, you know, we know that there's only Noah and his family. He and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight of them all together. And then the animals that God put in their animals' hearts to do that, to walk. He didn't have to go out there and drag them in, you know, that and everything. But anyhow, I'm just telling you all of this so that you'll understand here that the door of salvation stands wide open. And anybody can be saved today. And this is the time of salvation. This is why God is moving in the world like he is moving. And this is why God's dealing with people all over the world. He said the gospel will be preached in all the world and then he's coming back. He's coming back first for his church. We'll rise to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he's coming back at Armageddon just a few years later. At Armageddon and he'll come with ten thousands of his saints. That's us. 
And I can show you the 19th chapter of Revelation where that happens and how that that is us because it was says that the saints would be the bride of Christ and that we are wear white, you know, and it talks about that in those three, those seven churches of Asia there in the first uh, two or first three chapters of Revelation. I'm just trying to remind, tell you here today, if there's ever been a time that we need to say it's time to go to church, listen, I'm going to throw this in for what it's worth. I was driving to church here this morning. I saw one guy with his boat and fishing pole, going fishing. He little old pole. He he's going to go out someplace, pedal around, chug, chug, chug around and fish. I'd, I'd hate to be thinking on a Sunday morning now, my whole life is me going out there trying to catch a little old fish. <laughs> you know, what a dedication, what a commitment. Then I saw one guy that he was jogging and he looked like he was overweight and he was trying his best to get back into shape. Yeah. I saw somebody else that was walking, you know, walking. It's cold and they're walking, walking. And I thought, Here's one guy going to go, go try to fish. Here's one guy out. He's trying to trot and jug and, and jog along. Somebody else is out walking on a Sunday morning. And I said, God, and I said it out loud. God, I, I didn't raise my hands. I had my hands. <laughs> I said, God, thank you for the privilege to go to church. Folks, we come to the house of God and we can worship the Lord. And there's no place I'd rather be right here in the presence and the, and the wonderful blessings and the spirit of God. Praise the Lord. One fellow said one time he'd rather be in church than the best hospital in town. Well, they don't have to be compared to a hospital. They'd rather be in church than be any place in town. You name it, any place. I don't even want to be home on a Sunday morning. I want to be in the house of God. But I'm only telling you that to say that God is so good to us. Let's not lose what we have and let's help other people find what we have so that they will have the very same wonderful, experience, presence of God, joy in their heart, assurance of the future. All of these things they will have because they have chosen to live for God and walk with God till Jesus comes. And one day he will come. Amen. He'll come. Nobody knows the day nor the hour. Praise the Lord. He'll come to some people. It'll be in the morning. To some people in some parts of the world. It'll be in the evening. Some parts of the world. It'll be middle of the night. It doesn't matter. But whenever he does come back, praise the Lord, we'll rise to meet him in the air. God will give us a glorified body as unto his glorified body. The same kind of body he had when he went up into heaven, that glorified body. I don't know exactly what it'll be like, but the Bible says we do not yet know how we shall appear, but we'll be like him for we shall see him as he is. We'll have a glorified body like as under his glorified body. Aren't you glad for God's promises? Let's stand together and praise him today.